Good evening. It's a great joy to be able to worship with you this evening. I hope the things that we have to study will be as beneficial to you as they have been for me to study for my own my own life. Uh, if you were here this morning, Brother Jay gave us an excellent sermon on the dangers of too many words, so I went home and shortened my sermon. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we want to talk this evening about forgiveness. And, and I would say that too many words is one of the most detrimental things to a congregation. It, can cause mo- it causes most of the hurt that we cause one another. Some of it unintentional, some of it intentional. He opened by quoting in Psalms chapter 133, and I'm not going to quote that because I'll mess it up. He nailed it. He said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How true that is. How detrimental it can be when we let bitterness take over our congregations. Take over our relationships with one another. How detrimental it can be when we avoid each other because of something that was said, something that was done to us by one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, as I began to consider what I wanted to talk about this evening... I started with one thing, and I, I threw that out pretty quick. But then we got sick about the middle of, of two weeks ago, and I had to spend about three days at home with my wife and my four children. And if you've ever spent three days with four children, peace becomes something that comes to mind very quickly. So I started building a sermon on peace. And as I studied peace for my own life and my children, and we were talking about it, together, and I was working on my sermon, you know, in the background here, it quickly turned into this sermon about forgiveness, because that's one of the most important parts of having peace in our life, is being able to have a forgiving heart, to at our core being a forgiving people. We're going to spend most of our time this evening in Matthew chapter 18. It's one of the reasons I didn't build a PowerPoint, and now that I'm up here, I realize that I don't know what I'm going to do with my hands without that remote in them, so this could be a little more interesting. But we want to spend most of our time at the end of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus has a parable that he teaches to us about forgiveness. We want to notice that this is about forgiveness in the brotherhood, with our brethren, with our family in Christ. We'll begin there this evening in Matthew 18, starting with verse number 23. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. So he begins to paint this picture for us in our minds. What we have is a king. and He's, for all intents and purposes, a very good king because he is willing to loan money to his servants. But the time has come, I don't know if he decided he was in financial trouble, whatever the case may be, but he has decided to settle those accounts, to call in all those debts that he had been giving to people. He'd been allowing them to borrow money from him, and now it's time to pay this king back. And that's the picture that Jesus paints for us here. Verse 24, when he had begun to settle accounts, 
One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds too much here about how in the world this man acquired this debt. But I, if, if you want some entertainment, go Google how much 10,000 talents would be because it is a comically large number. One place I found said that it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 years of labor for this servant. Another place I found, uh, this was actually kind of interesting, but apparently around 60 B.C. someone gave the Pharaoh of Egypt a present that would have been the, the uh, GDP, I guess, the, the average annual income for Egypt. And that average annual income for Egypt was 5,988 talents. That was the gift that was given to this Pharaoh in around 60 B.C. So this man had acquired a debt that was, let me get this number right, 167% of Egypt's annual revenue for the entire country. A comically large and ridiculous sum of money that this servant had acquired in this debt. I love how he starts verse 25, but as he was not able to pay, this is very obvious, he was not able to even begin to think about paying this debt that he owed his master, his king. Verse 25, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Let's put ourselves in this man's shoes for a minute this evening. You know, there's, there's a lot in the audience, I'm sure, that are big Dave Ramsey fans that, that hate debt with a passion. There's, I know some in this audience that have the great joy of just every year you go to the bank and you acquire a massive amount of debt so that you can make your living that year. When we first got into farming, my wife, who has to co-sign you know, everything I do, walk, walks into the bank and she's signing this mountain of paperwork and she looks at the very sweet, kind banker and says, exactly what am I doing here? <laughs> How much money are we talking and the banker told her, and it just made her sick. And it made her sick because if everything failed, if the farm failed, if insurance failed, and that load of debt was placed on us, it would be crushing. And it's nothing compared to 200,000 years worth of labor, which is what this man owed. Imagine walking around every day with this debt sitting on your shoulders crushing you, wondering when this day was going to come. Some of us, we don't have to imagine that. We've, we've lived that life. It's called sin. That's the debt that we owe. It's sin. Every day walking with that debt crushing us, wondering when it's going to be called into account. This man was crushed. He was standing before his king. He was unable to pay, and he was going to be sold. And his wife was going to be sold. His children were going to be sold. He was going to lose everything. 
he had no way to pay. So we did what any of us would do. In verse 26, the servant therefore fell before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. I want to notice this servant didn't ask for this debt to be forgiven. He never dreamed of that happening. He just asked for more time. Please let me leave this place and let me go back to just worrying about this day again and trying to repay this debt that I could never repay. Have patience with me, I will pay you all. Verse 27, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him that debt. Imagine the relief. Farm has failed, insurance failed to pay, we have this crushing debt, we go to the bank and say, I'm sorry, give us time. No, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll eat this one. That's what happened with this servant. More than he could have imagined, more than he asked for, the king said, no. That debt is gone. That debt is forgiven. That debt is no longer yours to pay. This is a story about each one of us. It's about the debt of sin that we owe that we could never repay. Let's turn to Romans. Spend a little bit of time here in Romans. Uh, we'll begin in, in verse, sorry, in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse number 23, the writer tells us here, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is where sin leads us to. Leads us to death. That's the payment that we have to make. To God, we owe Him death. We owe Him our life, our soul. That's what sin does. It blackens our soul. It makes it something that God can't be with. And the wages for those sin is death. You know, as we think about that, that comically large number of 10,000 talents that that man owed, I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 16, where he says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's why this amount of money that Jesus places on this is so large. is because even if you had the whole world, if you lose your soul, you have nothing. That's the level of debt that we owe to our God, our Savior. Romans 5, verse number 12 in case anyone in the audience this evening thinks that we can escape this debt, Romans 5 verse 12 tells us, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. I don't know about you, but when I read this parable and I think about my life and my sin, I like to compare it to somebody else's life and somebody else's sin, right? I think, okay, well, this guy owed 10,000 talents, but I probably only owe like 1,000. It's not the case. Because all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Every one of us owes the same debt because we have sinned. doesn't matter if I think my sin may not be as bad as the next guy's sin. 
we have all sinned and thus we all owe this debt. Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was my sin that put Christ on that cross. That's why the debt is so great. It was your sin that put Christ on the cross. That's why your debt is so great. He knew that we were going to be sinners. He knew that none of us could live a perfect life, and so he came and did it for us. He had compassion on us. He sent his only son and he paid our debt for us. It had to be paid. And Christ took that on his shoulders. And now we get to walk around debt free. We get to walk around without that crushing weight on us. What a joy we have in our relationship with God. Our parable continues that we're looking at this evening in Matthew 28. Sorry, Matthew 18, verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Compared to 10,000 talents, 100 denarii is not very much money. It's almost nothing compared to that. But it is something. Words hurt, don't they? Our brothers and sisters in Christ, they can hurt us. It's not nothing. You want to put a number on it, something I found was maybe three or four months worth of labor for, for these servants. But the point is, it's, it's not zero. He didn't not owe him anything. He didn't not wrong him in any way. There was a hurt there. And as we read this story and we see the chain of events here, what we see is a man was forgiven of this great debt and he went out immediately and found someone who owed him nothing and he grabbed him by the throat and he shook him and said, You pay me. And we think, what a jerk. How could he do that to somebody? He'd just been forgiven this great debt. How could he do this to his fellow servant? Verse 29, So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Exact same thing that this first servant said to his king. Have patience. You'll get your money. You'll get what's owed you. Just have patience. Verse 30, And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Again, this behavior is just inconceivable to us we don't understand how someone could treat someone else so poorly why was Jesus giving this teaching why was Jesus telling this parable 
few verses earlier in Matthew 18, uh, verse 15 through 17, Jesus has a teaching for us. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take one, sorry, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So Jesus is telling, giving this teaching to his disciples. And Peter hears this teaching, and Peter is a lot like me, and Peter has a question. Matthew 18, verse 21, he says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. As you look at Matthew 18, in the very beginning of this chapter, they were asking Jesus who was the greatest in the kingdom. And as I considered this question that Peter asked, I, I remembered the, the sermon David Minson came and he gave us last year about Christ creating unity in his apostles and how difficult that would be. And I just hear the withering <laughs> in Peter's voice. How many times do I have to forgive these people? Okay, fine, I, I'll do everything you ask, Lord. I'll go to them, I'll rebuke them, I'll talk to them about it. But how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven? Surely seven is enough. Up to seven times? Peter thinks a lot like I think. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. We were reading this. I like to read whatever I'm preaching about at night to my kids. It helps me to answer some of my own questions and, and talk about it some. But anyway, Rain heard this and went, Ha-ha, there is a number. <laughs> I said, no. She said, I just gotta, I'm going to have a hard time keeping track of how many times before I can quit. That's not the point, is it? The point is not 490. The point is we forgive. He says it like this in Luke 17, verse 3, and verse number 4. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. It doesn't matter if it's seven times in a single day. If we rebuke and he repents, we are to forgive. Doesn't matter if there were too many words said seven times that day, we are to forgive. As I consider this teaching of Jesus, what I think of is, is well, he, he said that he was sorry, but then he did it again. He couldn't have truly been sorry and truly been repentant if he did it again. So I don't have to forgive. It's not what Jesus was teaching, is it? Be forgiving. Doesn't matter if it's seven times in a day. Be forgiving. Another thing I hear from time to time is, okay, you, 
need to forgive, but don't put yourself back in a position to be hurt again. And I can see situations out in the world where that may be sound and good advice, but not in the kingdom. Not in our church family. We don't need to avoid one another because we're afraid we're going to get hurt. We need to follow the instruction that's given. Rebuke and forgive. We need to forgive. The purpose of this teaching here in Matthew 18 is not to give us excuses to not forgive. The purpose is to remind us of this incredible debt that we owe to God and to Christ and recognize that each one of us here owed that same debt and whatever happens between us, it may hurt, but it is nothing compared to what Christ has forgiven us. So forgive. We need to have the same compassion that Jesus has for us with one another. And it affects our relationship with God. Continuing in our parable here in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, uh, we'll continue with verse 31 through verse 35. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, servants saw what had been done, they were grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servants, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures to, until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. It's one of the points I want to get to this evening is it's all about our heart. It's all about what's in here. What is our natural go-to reaction because it needs to be forgiveness. Forgiveness is what needs to be in our heart. And how we treat one another affects how God is going to treat us. Especially with regards to compassion and forgiveness. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says it in this manner in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and verse number 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's a requirement for us. We are to be a compassionate, a forgiving people. Willing to forgive as God forgives us. Not seven times like Peter had hoped, or like I hope sometimes. As many times as our fellow servant asks us to. Now as I consider forgiveness with regards to how God forgives me, I, I really like the statement that we need to forgive others as God forgives us. 
But that's not really the statement that's made here in Matthew 6. The statement that's made here is that God will forgive us as we forgive others. It's not our choice. However we forgive is how we are going to be forgiven. It affects our relationship with God. Just as it affected this servant's relationship with his king. I want to look at a little bit of practical application as we close this evening. The first question I want to ask is, is who do you relate to in the story? Because I related to Peter. I think we can all somewhat relate to that wicked servant. You know what kind of happens, bam, bam, with him. He's forgiven this great debt, and then he immediately goes and finds this servant. But we do the same thing, don't we? We struggle with the same thing. It's just how we look at it. But I relate to Peter the most. I want to know how many times, and I want to know what situations I have to forgive. When do I have to forgive well, surely, unless they say, I'm sorry, and they really mean it, I, I, can, I can hold on to it if, if they don't do that. Is our mentality to ask questions, to find out how we cannot forgive? Or is our mentality to find out how we can forgive? I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Find a teaching here in Ephesians chapter 4 about our heart and who we should be. To one another. Ephesians 4, verse 32 Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It's about our heart. Are we kind to one another? If we are, that'll solve a whole lot of the problems that we have. There won't be a need for forgiveness. But even when we're wronged, are we kind? Or do we hold grudges? Are we tender hearted? Are we forgiving? You know, as we consider this idea of forgiveness with regards to a debt owed, I don't go to the banker after I've paid back my loan, shake his hand and say, thank you so much for forgiving me this debt. Oh, we had an arrangement and I paid my debt. He made some money off of interest and he didn't forgive anything. We don't forgive others because they paid the debt that was owed to us. We don't forgive others because we made up this ideal situation and they have to fulfill every step in the process before I'm going to forgive them. Forgiveness is not when a debt is paid. Forgiveness is when a debt is not paid. And we let it go anyway. We turn it loose. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Corinthians had a lot of problems, didn't they? Here in, here in chapter 6, they'd been taking each other to court because they'd been just flat cheating one another. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 8, he says, No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. This is a bad problem that was happening, and they were taking each other to secular court trying to fix these wrongs that had happened to them. And that was a, the wrongs were a problem. The taking each other to court was a problem. 
but a lot of problems. But Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. He says, Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Isn't it better to just let things go sometimes? Isn't it better just let that debt go? You know, sometimes we may feel wronged in a business transaction. And that's one of the more difficult things to, to let go because the person may come to us and say, hey, I'm real sorry about that, and we never, we never get the money back, right? We got an apology, but they didn't do everything they should have done. So we hold on to that. We have a hard time letting it go. Isn't it better? Why won't we just let ourselves be cheated move on that doesn't mean that we don't rebuke I think we have a responsibility to do that I think we've been instructed to do that but sometimes we don't get every step in the process that we think we should get and we need to forgive we need to let it go we need to move on forgiveness is not when the debt's paid it's when the debt is not paid and we let it go The other thing I want to notice in the story is that we don't need to make big things out of little things. Now, as we notice, this sum of money that the, the servant owed the other servant could have been quite a bit, up to three or four months' worth of work. But comparatively, it was a little thing, right? And this servant made it a very big thing. Let's not make big things out of small things. In Romans chapter 14, talks a lot about this exact subject, but I want to just read uh, verse 19 and verse number 20. It says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Don't destroy the work of God for small things. Don't make big things out of little things. You know, as we consider the teaching of Jesus here in Matthew 18 about forgiveness, and, and he taught about forgiveness throughout his ministry here on earth, Jesus practiced what he taught. In Luke chapter 23, verse number 34, we find the picture here of Jesus on the cross, and he's hanging there, and there's some soldiers at his feet and those soldiers have parted his clothes amongst themselves and they were sitting there gambling for his coat see who was going to get it were the same men who had put nails through his hands through his feet and put him on that cross Luke 23 verse 34 Jesus said sorry then said Jesus father forgive them for they know not what they do and they parted his raiment cast lots he practiced what he preached. He gave us the example. Let's be the same of the same heart as Christ, especially with one another in God's kingdom. 
We'll close with 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This evening, Christ is waiting. He's being patient with you. If you have sin in your life this evening, He desires to forgive that sin. If you'll come to Him. He does not want anyone to perish. He's patiently waiting for you. If you have a need in your life this evening, if you'd like to be baptized or would like the prayers of the church, we would ask you to come to that invitation of our Lord as we stand and sing.